Now, what I will say is that there are many tools out there that SMBs can take advantage of that are well-priced, that you should be thinking through your small business. How can artificial intelligence, how can AI help improve my business? Even if it's that you are focusing on efficiencies, be curious and bring AI into almost everything you're doing. So as an SMB, I can't predict when those prices will come down. So it will be available kind of the AI modeling that I'm talking about will be available to a company at five or 10 million in annual revenue and a certain amount of of data. I will say, however, to those companies, to SMBs, do not hesitate, do not shy away from, you've got to lean into, okay, so what are some tools that I can use? Are there free tools? Are there inexpensive tools? What are some ways that I can start driving efficiencies? Because those efficiencies can kind of on the other side, they can turn into revenue. Just stop it. The -the run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum, bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with arrows in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption, Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today, we're joined by a trailblazer in the world of AI and marketing technology. This disruptor has redefined digital acceleration and the application of AI in revenue and sales. Very important, guys. Listen up. She's got over two decades of experience leading high-performing teams and crafting successful go-to-market strategies. And she's made a profound impact in the digital product and data-intensive sectors globally. Now, she does have some like pedigrees under her belt. She's recognized by Forbes as a connector extraordinaire and featured consecutively on the Software Report's top 50 women leaders in SaaS list. Yes, she is a badass. And it's a testament to the power of innovation and strategic foresight that she has. So join us today as we dive into the transformative power of AI and business and explore how technology is not just about efficiencies but is also a key driver for revenue growth, all thanks to the visionary insights of Jennifer Ives, co-founder and CEO of wateringhole.ai. Hello. First off, thank you for having me. Thank you for that amazing introduction. I just need to be hanging out with you all the time. That is wonderful. (laughs) Yes, we'll be BFF. There were so many things on here to read, right? You're an author to a contributing like bestseller, Heels to Deals, How Women Are Dominating in Business-to-Business Sales. I mean, you have so many things like under your belt. So yeah, so we're going to exploit that. But I really want to talk about first, what's your fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation, Jennifer? Gosh, that's a great question. I think it has to do with, and I hope this is answering the question. I think it has to do with curiosity and grit. I think you have to have both of those things to look at disruption, to be a disruptor, to understand disruption, to want to be involved in disruptive and then fill in the blank. 
you have to have curiosity. You have to always be asking, oh, what is that? How does that work? What if we did it a different way? How can we, right? And then you have to have the grit to stay with that because disrupting anything is not easy and it, it takes curiosity and grit, kind of those two things. I love that you said it takes grit. Like curiosity, I find that disruptors and innovators are naturally curious. Like they're strong interests. They're always looking into, how does that work? Why does that work? What could be better? And so there's a common denominator that you have with many other disruptors. But grit, you know, you always hear about these like success stories, but they really don't happen overnight. It does take grit. And when you're doing something new, it's nothing that you can typically compare with other things. And it's hard to educate. You have to get through people's, I don't know, it's the inertia of people not wanting to change, pushback, invalidation, evaluation. All of those things. There are so many walls that come up against any anyone involved in a disruptive profession or with a disruptive idea. Everything that you just mentioned, I was nodding along. Yes, yes, yes. That word too. Yes, that that adjective fits perfectly. Yeah, it's uh, it's not easy. And so you you do have to have grit. You have to have stick to itiveness along with the grit. You have to have an open mind as well as to is the core is the root of the idea a good one, and is there maybe another way? Like it's, you, you keep the curiosity. It's like the test and learn, test and learn. You keep the curiosity along with the grit hand in hand because you may find that something else is required in the market, or you may find that you are running up against a number of walls or the inertia is there or the education, maybe the product market fit is there, but the education for the buyers or those in pain, like I have, you know, I am in pain, I need this. And yet, let me go back to the inertia. Let me go back to what helped in the past because it helped my pain 50%. So I'm happy with 50%. You're telling me that you can, you know, eradicate, give me 100% pain-free experience I don't believe that I'm going to go with the 50%. It's the curiosity and grit hand in hand and the test and learn, test and learn. Yeah, I really like the test and learn, test and learn, especially when we're talking about technology. And and then think about AI. First of all, technology moves at a much faster pace and things evolve. Technology changes things. And so as it changes things, consumer behavior evolves. Then companies evolve. And so it's this constant evolution. You can't just set it and forget it, even in highly regulated industries. Am I right? Absolutely. And with AI, quite literally, you can never set it and forget it. I I consider AI human-assisted AI. And there is so much humanness that goes into AI, in particular, the AI that, that Watering Hole AI is involved with, which is generative and predictive. And once you get those predictive models going, you need to be monitoring you, the company, someone needs to be monitoring those uh, predictive models at all times. They can atrophy, just like muscles atrophy when they're not used. Those models can atrophy. There are a lot of news cycles around hallucination models. You cannot set and forget AI. I'm glad you said that because I think people think that AI is constantly reiterating itself so that you can set it and forget it. It's a misconception out there. Yeah, that's a huge misconception out there. And and you can't, it is always learning. It's always changing. Those you know, writing, the algorithms are always writing stronger, better, faster algorithms. AI is moving at light speed. I mean, I, I, I talk about that a lot. AI is moving at light speed. This is like nothing we've ever seen before. The advent of the internet, you know, over 20 years ago, that's nothing compared to what's going on in AI. If you heard me on stage two months ago, 
I may be saying something very different about the exact same topic. I may be saying something very different a month from now, right? That's just a three-month window. A month from now, I may have a different take on it, or I may be sharing different information around AI because it's moving so quickly. It is moving at light speed. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about this whole AI thing, light speed. AI is typically being... I mean, look, it's been around for a while, but it's not really gotten the lion's share of share of voice until recently. ChatGPT. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. And good for ChatGPT. Great, yes. great for them getting that out there. Brought it to the forefront. It, it's it's why companies are now talking about AI. I mean, I, I would like the news cycle to move beyond ChatGPT. However, ChatGPT a year ago really brought AI into everyone's lexicon because you're right, AI is not new. It's kind of taken on this image of being brand new. All of a sudden, AI is here. Now, AI has been around forever, for a long, long time, not forever, for a long, long time. I've been involved in AI for about a decade, a little over a decade, involved in big data before that, AI for about 10 years. So thank you, ChatGPT, for bringing it to conversation. Now let's talk about different forms of AI beyond Well, they definitely have owned the narrative. They probably wrote their own AI algorithm for that. But it's really being talked about and the narrative everywhere. I mean, when I say everywhere, and I'm not just being general, I look at my feeds on LinkedIn. I look at my contacts. I have a very large network. And it's all about saving and efficiency. But you're saying there's not enough about revenue, growth, and sales. Let's talk about that. Thank you for asking because it is the number one return on investment when you apply AI to your business. And by the way, the business could be B2B, B2C, direct to consumer, like you name across all verticals. Studies show not just Jennifer Ives, Harvard, McKinsey, Boston Consulting Group, all the studies will show that the number one application of generative and predictive AI, where you'll get your return on investment in huge ways is through your marketing and sales. So looking at marketing and sales, and you're right, there's the conversation. So AI has two pieces to it, right? In terms of results, it has efficiencies. You can absolutely drive efficiencies in marketing. You can drive efficiencies through content creation, right? So you can use tools that help you create content faster, stronger SEO, like all of the things. That's efficiencies. We're talking about a watering hole AI. We're talking about creating revenue, actually generating, applying AI models to generate new revenue. And that's where your boards, your investors, your CEOs of the world, that's where they want to focus. With this focus on ChatGPT, you get this efficiency conversation and the conversation really needs to be switching and and switching quickly, moving quickly to include the revenue generation piece. Because again, your investors, your board members, your CEOs, your customers, they want to see revenue generation. Why do you think it's not being talked about enough as far as revenue generation or even the models and the tech stacks that are coming out are not leaning towards that, but they're leaning more towards efficiencies? So the efficiency piece, it's been in the news more. It started out, ChatGPT is a tool to create efficiencies in many ways, right? So that is an efficiency tool. The generation of new revenue, so the you know generating new revenue AI is a large umbrella term. And so now you're really talking about machine learning and deep learning and predictive models within those worlds. So generative AI use cases, you know, you've got automation, analytics, and then you have optimization. And we're really focusing on the optimization of your your data. How do you optimize to create new revenue? So the quick answer to your question is where the, the news cycle started 
a year ago talking about AI was really around efficiencies. And it was because of one tool, ChatGPT, Bard, you fill in the blank, right? There hasn't been as much press around the generation, the revenue generation piece of AI. And that's really a shame because when you search, so much more will come up about efficiencies versus the studies that have proven over and over again and what we've seen. So Watering Hole AI, we founded the company about six months ago, but it's based on two, almost three years of R&D around revenue and generation of revenue when applied to marketing and sales. So AI transformation applied to marketing and sales. The news cycle kind of started with efficiencies and it hasn't quite moved as quickly as I would like it to. And I think as quickly as CEOs and other C-suite leaders who need to know this information and need to understand not only that you can generate revenue applied to marketing and sales, and then you get to, well, what are the use cases, right? And we, we need to have much more education, much more conversation around the use cases and also the the stats behind those use cases and the numbers behind the use yes, cases. Yes, you actually said something which is really key. There's a huge educational curve on this particular point that even the media doesn't have. And it's like, yes, we can. Okay, how? I'm, I'm like hearing my listeners <laughs> right now going, okay, how, how do we do that? Everybody can think with efficiencies. I mean, I can do more for less. I can get this much more done. I can improve this process. But how can we do this in the revenue generation model? So what you want to do is across the board, again, all industries, the leaders of those companies should really look at their business strategy. They should start with their business strategy and they should almost do a matrix of here's our business strategy. And then where could AI play a role in generating revenue? Like that should be the question. Where can AI play a role in generating revenue as I apply it to our current business strategy? And you will pretty soon, like very quickly, you get your C-suite in a room and you put up that matrix and you'll very quickly see, oh, here, 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 here. Okay. Those are four areas where we could generate revenues. And generally they're going to fall into right on the commercial side of the company, the marketing and the sales piece of the company. There can be things like reducing customer acquisition costs. There can be things like increasing new customer conversion rates. So if your business strategy talks about generating new revenue from new customers in 2024, that is the heat map. Like that should be like lighting up on your heat map. And then you ask the question, what if we applied AI to that business, that piece of our business strategy, what would that look like? What could that look like? And you start getting curious around it and your C-suite starts getting curious around it. But you kind of have to all come together, very simply look at your business strategy, see where AI in terms of generating revenue, see where AI could be applied and then dig into and start getting curious. How could we do that? Where have you seen that done other places? Who can we talk to about that? Has someone done a Google search on this? Just start asking very simple, curious questions. Yes. Give me some examples of companies that have done that. Like you mentioned use cases. I mean, the very first thing I'm thinking of when you're talking is how to really hone in and find out, it's like a watering hole, where my exact ICP is. How do I really hone in on my exact ICP using AI, considering what's come to us in the past, what is coming to us, intent data, you know, things like that. That's from the marketing aspect. Give me some ideas and some examples. So some use cases that we're very familiar with because we have helped with some of these use cases and we've discussed some of these use cases with companies. For instance, there was a, an ed tech SaaS company who was marketing on certain channels, right? And so we baseline for them where 
kind of where was the message going? Were they spending money in the right place? And we learned very quickly that a couple of the channels that they were using, that they were certain this is where our this is where our community is, was not. The data showed very clearly was not. So then we were able to start putting predictive model, like pull that information, start identifying what channels they should be talking in and, and sharing their message, putting predictive models around that so that they could have predictions around where their messages should be at what time of day, in what country, during what season, what the exact message should be. Because on one channel, potentially they wanted to hear a message a certain way. And on another channel, they might've wanted to hear and receive the message in a different way. So that's one. And by the way, that client, we reduced their cost of acquisition costs, their their customer acquisition costs by 80%. Whoa. In today's day and age, if you can adjust cost of acquisition, you know, your CAC by 6%, maybe 12, like 12 is like, oh my gosh, you're getting a promotion. You're getting a huge bonus. You probably just made it into the C-suite and we're talking 80%. And sometimes the numbers are so astounding that it's hard to believe until you see it, until it happens to you. There is another use case where the company is a SaaS company, global SaaS company, and they were actually looking at top of funnel because they were thinking, you know, we're losing some folks before they come into the sales funnel. As we were looking at the data, we noticed Yes, we can absolutely apply AI models to top of funnel. However, you do have a solid number. Like we've looked at your data and disparate sources and debiased it and everything. Your data is coming through. You've got these numbers coming into your sales funnel. Have you thought about, especially knowing that you need to be generating, they have shared with us, they needed to be generating new client revenue. They needed revenue from their existing clients as well. Were they going to grow those? They needed a certain amount of new client revenue in 2024. So in 2023, we were saying, well, you've got some churn here on your sales pipeline. Let's not only analyze that data and see if we can put some predictive models in there to help you better understand when they're falling out of the sales pipeline, at what time, is there a geography involved? Like all of these things that you can do very, very quickly with human-assisted AI and applying predictive AI models on that. So those are kind of two use cases. There are also, I mentioned the customer acquisition costs. I mentioned the churn. You can do that for churn of current clients. You can start to understand what is what does the data tell you about what happens before one of your current clients churns out. So you can start to identify that data and then you can start putting predictive AI models in place that will start to predict who may churn. And then you can put customer service support systems in place around some of those clients and ideally not lose them and keep not only keep your revenue, but also increase your revenue to see how else you can be of help to those clients. So there are a number of use cases that, again, we like to understand our clients' business strategy And we're also very happy to, at a very high level, start pointing out to them, here's revenue, you know, on the chart, kind of, here's a revenue area, here's a revenue opportunity, here's a revenue. Generally speaking, we come out of those meetings with nine to 14 use cases. And then we have to share with our clients or prospective clients, let's bring this down to one or two. Yes, there. we all agree. We agree. There are 14. Let's bring it down. Let's narrow this one or two. And then we're going to start on one. And we're going to start small. And we're going to test and learn. And we're going to show real movement in a positive direction around your revenue, and then we'll expand from there. So AI, I will say uh, my PSA on this <laughs> on, during this conversation is don't hesitate to 
get curious about AI. And then also you always want to start small. You want to test and learn. You want to see what some of those outputs are. Are they making sense? Are they tracking with some of the return on investment estimates that you had considered? And if not, then the model needs to be changed. And that happens. That is very typical where the model changes, but you can change it very quickly. That is so interesting to me. So 9 to 12, 9 to 14, they must be like so excited, like kids in a candy store. But I like that you start small because it is a pilot at first. It is test and learning. Start with one or two. But if you're getting and can get those kind of results, then it seems just like a snowball effect. Okay, now we're going to go with the third and the fourth and the so on and so forth. Can we back up just a little bit? You mentioned just for our listeners, our listeners are techies. But let's just make sure, terminology-wise, they really do understand the different types of AI. So you mentioned human-assisted AI and generative AI and predictive AI. Just give a synopsis of each one so they're really differentiating between the three. Sure, sure. So human-assisted, I add human-assisted in front of the word AI anytime I speak. You can't just turn AI on or turn AI on as if it's a, you can't just start on, (laughs) you can't go forward with an AI project without human beings. There's thinking and thunking, as Cassie Karazov says, oftentimes there's thinking and thunking. Human beings are thinkers. They're the creators. They're creative. They, they know they can see when one of those models might be atrophying or when they might be hallucinating. Um, there are so many pieces of, of the AI journey where a human is required in really wonderful, amazing ways. So human assisted is a phrase that we uh, at the company always use and a, a lot of AI folks that think great deal of use as well. Generative, you can, in its very simplest terms, generative is generating something new out of something that hasn't been created before. Predictive is looking at past data and making predictions on what will happen in the future. One is not better than the other. It depends on the use case as to which you are using. I think they can be worked in tandem too. Yes, absolutely. Good, depending on the use cases and what's needed. Okay, great. Great examples. Now you've been around for 10 years with AI, okay? What is new about the human-assisted AI now towards revenue and marketing and sales? What's new is that the pricing has come down. You don't need as much data as you needed even two to three years ago to start making some assumptions and start putting models in place. The huge data lakes of five years ago are not always needed. It depends on the industry. It depends on the accuracy that you're looking for. So I'm, t- I'm speaking in general terms as to why now. Why now is that you don't need as much data. You still need a lot of data. You don't need as much data. And the compute costs have come down. They're still, it's still nothing to sneeze at. Compute costs are still, it's something that you have to factor in. This is my other, I'll put in another PSA for anyone thinking about generative and predictive AI models. You do have to think through and calculate out your compute costs because you can be computing at a very high level or a low level. And it all depends on what it is, what result you're trying to get. If you are, for example, just a very wide scale example, you may need extremely high compute costs for something that needs to be extremely specific. So it could be artificial intelligence applied to healthcare in a surgical suite. That is very different. Very precise. So again, using just kind of large scale, broad swath examples. In other cases, when it comes to marketing and sales, you still want accuracy. You're not looking for it to not be accurate. However, many times you can make some decisions around that compute cost as to how accurate it needs to be for that particular use case. 
So a number of those things all kind of came together at once to allow for AI models being applied kind of across a number of industries and across a number of of ways. Got it. That makes total sense. And I love that the pricing has come down and it makes total sense. The more AI is being used, right? And these large language models and so forth are, I guess, being populated with more data. (laughs) It's going to come down even more. And when do you think predictive wise, this would be really accessible to SMBs in the future to really be able to use this to the degree that enterprise is able to use it today? Yeah, so you're right. Fortune 1000, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies can absolutely access it today. SMBs, I would be afraid to, concerned to make a prediction on that because three weeks, it could be very different. That's how fast it is. Now, what I will say is that there are many tools out there that SMBs can take advantage of that are well-priced, that you should be thinking through your small business. How can artificial intelligence, how can AI help improve my business, even if it's that you are focusing on efficiencies. Be curious and bring AI into almost everything you're doing. So as an SMB, I can't predict when those prices will come down. So it will be available, kind of the AI modeling that I'm talking about will be available to a company at five or 10 million in annual revenue and a certain amount of of data. I will say, however, to those companies, to SMBs, do not hesitate, do not shy away from You've got to lean into, okay, so what are some tools that I can use? Are there free tools? Are there inexpensive tools? What are some ways that I can start driving efficiencies? Because those efficiencies can kind of on the other side, they can turn into revenue. So if you're spending less time as an SMB founder and your team is spending less time on content creation, you may be able to spend more time doing things that are directly generating revenue for your company. So I wouldn't shy away just because potentially the price tag is still a little bit too high for SMBs. I would look at tools and I would look at creating efficiencies. I would get creative. I would look at your business plan, just like you would your business strategy at 5 million, just as you would if you were a $2 billion company, a $7 billion company. Look at that strategy and see where you can put AI into place to to create some benefits for your company. I think that's fantastic. Let's look at enterprise as the forerunners and the heroes of this, because it's their use of this that is helping and make it possible to add more and more data and allow the SMBs to be able to compete. It really is an ecosystem where everything's connected. So they do benefit off of, you know, enterprise. Let's talk about something that people don't always think, and this is an education point, even for the media, is that Everything in America, I can tell you this just as a communicator and especially working with the media on a daily basis, is that nothing really gets the story told if it doesn't communicate how it impacts the top or bottom line. (laughs) We talked about healthcare. What's it always around? (laughs) The cost, the expense, the savings, right? The transparency. When you're creating more revenue, right? And you're able to, you know, improve your CAC or you know, make sales more efficient, right? Sales velocity and feed to market and things like that. There is a trickle-down effect that enterprise has that people don't normally connect the dots with, with AI. More jobs, more ability to create technology for other parts of the company. What are those trickle-down points that you've seen in your use cases throughout the years? Let me make sure I'm answering that I heard the question correctly. It's almost like the byproducts that come out of this when you have increased revenues, because it's like increased revenue is great. 
But what does that enable businesses to do? It enables them to grow. It enables them to hire more people. It enables them to move into new markets. It enables them to return dividends back to shareholders. It goes back into the economy. I mean, there are so many benefits associated with driving new revenue, opening new markets, growing companies in ways that are faster than they had planned. So the trickle-down effect is both internal to the company as well as external into the economy and to the customers who are using those products. Because depending upon the industry, you can have incredible, I mean, if a company is generating new revenue, they can put that, especially a technology or a healthcare company or any type of company that's putting money back into research and development, into their product to further their products, services to help their customers even more so. So, you know, if you're generating more revenue as a healthcare company, if you're generating more revenue as a supply chain company, if you're generating more revenue as you fill in the blank with your favorite type of company that that you interact with, parts of that revenue go back into products to create better experiences, to create better products, to take them to the next level. So, I mean, just think about anything that that you use on a day-to-day basis that in the last couple of years or last 10 years, last five years, last three years, last one year has improved the product itself, whether it's a technology or a physical product without technology, those benefits of additional revenue is fed back into the growth and the success of the current product. Yes. And you know what? There's your narrative and that's how you educate and that's how the media will pick it up. If you can tell the larger story of the economic impact and you can make projections of those figures or what that could be and show how everything is interrelated and interdependent on that and how that eventually affects the consumers and their ability to put more you know, revenues into the economy for local, regional, national, global scale, that is where making the case for this narrative of revenue and sales is going to explode. Fascinating. Yeah. You just got to do the work initially to do that. What's the biggest thing that excites you about the future of watering hole AI? It's a little bit of what we were just talking about. It's the ability to allow companies to really unlock revenue potential that they, one, hadn't planned on the amount, or maybe they hadn't planned on in that calendar year. So really pulling forward new revenue into their world so that they can support their customers and their consumers in bigger and better ways so that they can put money into the technologies that they're creating for their customers, the consumers, whomever is taking in, the, again, whether it's a product that doesn't have any technology associated with it, which I, it's a hard, few and far between these days, or a product with technology, but it, can, it allows companies to serve their customers better. And it is wonderful to be able to help a company you know, who's doing great things in the world and in the market do even better and grow faster and grow maybe into new markets. So let's say they're servicing North America, so Canada, the U.S., and and Mexico. What if they were able to, you know, and they're doing an amazing job and their customers are so happy. What if they were able to, 12 months earlier, because of increased revenue, they were able to expand into, you name the continent. I mean, that's what drives me. That's what makes us so happy at Watering Hole. When we hear of a pain point and we know AI can help Predictive models, AI models can help that pain point. Sometimes it can't. AI is, it's an arrow in your quiver. It's a tool. It doesn't mean it's the right tool for every single use case. And that's why choosing those use cases is so important. But that's what makes me so happy, right? On a daily basis, when we can apply AI models to a use case that is actually going to drive revenue for our clients, our customers, 
and benefit their company, benefit their customers and their clients. It's, I mean, that's what wakes me up in the morning. Yeah, it's like a shoe in <laughs> It's like an absolute <laughs> shoe in One would think. <laughs> you would think. You would absolutely think. Uh, so tell our listeners, who is the ideal customer profile for Watering Hole AI? Fortune 1000, Fortune 500 companies. It's really companies with probably over 100 million in ARR. That's mainly not so much based on the revenue. It's based on the amount of data that that company is likely to have. So again, I mentioned it doesn't require as much data. AI doesn't require as much data as it used to. It does require a certain amount of data. So uh, companies at 100 million ARR and more, B2B, B2C, direct-to-consumer, and the market is actually is showing us that global retail, as well as B2B media and media companies, they've been very aware of their data for a long time, and they tend to lean into their curiosity <laughs> a little more so than maybe some other industries. But we can really help a number of industries. And I know that's not a go-to-market plan. I'm the first one to say that. However, we really can help across a number of industries for the type of, of company that I just mentioned. Right now, we're seeing a lot of activity in global retail as well as B2B media and media companies. Well, I can understand why. They seem to be the early adopters for sure. Yes. Again, they're looking at the data. They've been analyzing their data since before even data analytics was a buzzword, you know, years ago. They've been at the forefront financial services as well. I mean, when, when people talk about AI, financial services and healthcare, they're like, oh, please, we've been at this for years. They have been modeling out financial services, investors and, and investment companies. They've been modeling out returns and where to place predictive AI models for years. That's This is nothing new to financial services companies, financial companies. No, but it is new news to everybody else. It is new news to everyone else. Yes. Okay. So before we, you know, tell people how to get a hold of you, what is the significance of watering hole AI? It's so like intuitive, but I'd like you to tell our audience. Oh my gosh, the significance. So again, the significance is is within about 90 days, you can look at your data and you can be generating new revenue that you never thought you could, that you maybe were putting off 12 months. Okay, we'll get these data sets together and that'll be next year. You can generate and create success for your company in a very short amount of time. So the significance is that we bring real change, very specific return on investment to our clients in a very in a very short amount of time. It's like all the animals of Africa going to the watering hole. It's all the animals of Africa. And you know what? If you are only trying to attract gazelles, you'd better find out who's around your watering hole. And if you're spending money on attracting all sorts of animals around your watering hole and you just want gazelles, please give us a call. What time did the gazelles get there to the watering hole? And how long do they stay? (laughs) How long are they staying? Why are they staying? Where are the like watering holes? Where else are gazelles hanging out? And how can we attract them to our watering hole? All of those things. AI is a brilliant and perfect partner to to find that out and to identify and then do something with it. Such a great analogy. Okay, so what do you do outside of AI? What are your crazy passions? What do you what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? So yeah, AI is not my whole world. <laughs> I have I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a lover of Bernie's mountain dogs. They break my heart because they live for such a short amount of time. Aww. We're on a herd, but they're big and furry and loving and I just love them. I also really, really my whole life I've loved to hike. So I love mountain hiking also love downhill skiing. I've been skiing since I was five and I love to downhill ski in particular on a nice quiet mountain. 
on maybe a Wednesday <laughs> when there aren't lots of crowds and I even like a little snow in the background. It's very quiet up there on top of the mountain. And I love the thrill. I mean, it's really downhill skiing to me is just such a thrill. And the hiking part is once you get to the top of the mountain, there's nothing like that after, you know, a, a certain amount of, of hours spent hiking. And then you get to the, the top of the mountain and you look out over this beautiful view and you've set out to to hike and and master that mountain and and you have and it's it's just wonderful. It's true. It is wonderful. I'll have to tell you some <laughs> of my funny stories about hiking in Peru. You will crack up. <laughs> I love though that if you I can tell you're so data oriented because you have like Wednesday at this particular time with the <laughs> That's true. I never picked that. That's so funny. I totally picked that up about you. I was like, oh my gosh, that is so her. (laughs) Okay, Jennifer, tell people how to get a hold of you. Yeah, LinkedIn is fantastic. Please feel free to link in with me. I believe on LinkedIn, I'm Jennifer Ives with the number one. So Jennifer Ives one. But if you just type in Jennifer Ives watering hole AI, you will find me. Uh, Please link in with me. I, I love meeting new LinkedIn friends and smart people asking really great questions. So feel free to link in with me. And then also you can visit our watering hole AI website. There's a link on there to book a discovery call. So you can either talk to us through the website or just chat with me on LinkedIn and, and uh, send me a message, send me, send me an invitation and a message. And I'm happy to, happy to chat. Fantastic. Good for thought. What do you want our listeners to be left with as a final memorable point to take home? AI is here. Get curious about it. See how it fits into your everyday, not only personal life, professional life, even if it is to begin with creating efficiencies. Be curious about it and know that the hype cycle and the news cycle around ChatGPT and and that particular on the spectrum of AI, that particular form of AI is not the only thing in town and that there are ways to generate revenue from your company, from your business using AI models, and that the AI digital transformation is here to stay. And it's not something that you can watch. Don't watch it for the next year. Your competitors are not, I'm telling you, I'm in these conversations every day. Your competitors are not watching it. They are taking baby steps. They are testing and learning. They are starting out right with POCs that are bite-sized and they're growing and they're growing and they're growing. They are not watching. So those would be a few things that I would leave folks with today. That's actually a mic drop moment. Do not be a spectator in this AI evolution. Be a participator. Yes. Thank you for being on the show today and educating us on revenue and sales and AI. We're going to change the narrative. Thanks for having me. It's been wonderful. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed with Jennifer and me, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.